morning and welcome to Delivering Word Bible Church. My name is Minister Jonathan Collins and thank you for joining us whether here in person or joining us virtually. Last week we started a five-week series entitled Tested. Pastor Joplin took us through chapter one of James and today I'll be taking us through chapter two. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to James chapter two and I want to start off reading verse one and then we're going to skip down to verses 14 through 17. So I will be reading out of the NLT version, but feel free to follow along in whichever version you may have. Maybe you got the same version on your smartphone, or maybe you got a Bible that's a different version, but feel free to just follow along. And if you, if you don't have a Bible on you, it's at the bottom of your screen as well. So this is what James says in verse one. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others. Now skipping down to verse 14, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say that you have faith, but do not show it by your actions? Can that type of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? See, so you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It's dead and useless. You may be seated. As Christians, our faith is constantly being tested. Some days we're going through a test. Some days we just got done with the test. And some days a test is right around the corner. So depending on who you are, your test may look different than somebody else. So for me, one of the tests that I, I continuously deal with is I always find myself in debates with other people. They seem to always come up when I'm hanging out with a, a friend or a family member. I think they bring up debates around me or try to debate because I think they try to provoke me. I think they know that I, I, I go for debates easily or I got I always got an opinion about something. So I think they know this or I think they try to provoke me, but they constantly say the opposite of what I say. Or they consistently try to change my mind to see things the way they seem. Or they, they try to change my point of view or my outlooks. And we, we don't debate over important things or things that I think are important. So we're not debating over someone's salvation or where somebody may spend eternity. You know, we're not debating on healthy life choices or why it's important to have healthy life choices. We're not arguing over why it's important to vote. When we argue, we argue over stuff like this. We argue over who's the greatest athlete of all time. Heated, heated arguments about them. I don't talk about just, you, you say what you say, I say, no, it's, it's back and forth. You've got to believe why I think this person is the greatest. Or one, a couple weeks ago, one of my friends asked me, he said, Jonathan, why don't you like scary movies? And I told him, I said, man, I have a vivid imagination. So when I go home at night and I'm laying there in bed, man, that movie is still racing through my mind. And then when I hear a little a crack or the house makes a sound, my mind goes even, it even goes further left into thinking about the movie even more. And so I can't sleep at night. So I'm like, man, I, I just don't, I prefer not to watch it. And my friend tried telling me, he said, man, you know, you could just not think about it. You could just not think about the scary movie. And I said, man, that, that's a great idea. But here's the problem. If, if all it took was me not thinking about it, 
I would have tried that. When I try not thinking about it, it still pops into my head. And if I'm being honest with people, I like to try to play innocent, like, man, I don't really like debating people. And I've got better at it, but if I'm being honest, I, I, I kind of like arguments. I, I kind of like getting into debates, and most of my debates turn into arguments. Most of the debates that I'm in normally turn into some type of argument where somebody walks away from it mad at the other person. If both people aren't mad at each other. Pray for me. The Lord is still working with me. He's still trying to get me through this. And I think I've gotten better at it. One thing I've learned is I have learned to pick and choose which battles I'm going to debate. Like some battles ain't meant for me to always say something. So every time I got to remind myself of this, because every time I get on Facebook and I see something or I see a comment that I disagree with and they're a friend of mine, I go right into that mode of like, man, I feel like I got to start typing something. But I don't always have to express my disagreement with somebody. I start asking myself questions like, man, Jonathan, is it really worth losing a friendship to try to win an argument? So as I've grown in Christ, Christ has been working on my heart. He's shown me a couple things. He's shown me that every conversation does not have to be won and every conversation doesn't have to be lost. Man, I've learned that it's okay for people to have a different opinion than me. That was, that, that was a big revelation for me. That everybody does not have to think like I think. Man, you can have your opinion. I can have my opinion. and Everything can still be cool between us. You know, you can have your opinion. I can have my, my opinion. And we can still be united in Christ. Personal values, personal beliefs, they don't necessarily have to be a bad thing. They become a problem when we start treating our personal beliefs or our personal values and putting them off on everybody else. That's when they become a problem. They become a problem when we put them off on other people and saying, man, if you don't do this, then I start to question your salvation. Our personal beliefs become a problem when we start to show favoritism towards people that look like us or do things the way we do them versus people that, man, don't align with our personal values. Like I used to think it was pointless to order a cheese pizza. So if we're hanging out and I'm like, hey, what do you want to eat? Pizza, cool. Get whatever you want. And you say, all right, cool, I'm order a cheese pizza. I would then start to make remarks like, why, why would you order a cheese pizza? Because for me, I can't really see eating a pizza without meat on it. And so then I would start to make comments like, you might, you might as well just order a side of cheese sticks. Like you can still get like a pepperoni pizza and just get some cheese sticks on the side. And nowadays, I find myself eating cheese pizza. So now when I started eating it, I started to think back on when I gave people a hard time about what they wanted to eat. I started to question myself. And man, I feel like you really know God's working on you when you start to actually question your, your own beliefs. So I started to, to ask myself, why did I used to give people such a hard time for what they wanted to eat? And I think we all need to ask ourselves those type of questions. Why do I feel like this right now? Like, Why did I just get angry because they said that? Or why am I mad because they walked in wearing that? And then I think we need to figure out, well, why do I or why did I respond like this when, when, when this happens, whatever this may be? So for me, I figured out why I was partial towards a lot of things. So I grew up with my cousins hanging around and I grew up around my brother and watching them. I used to see what they believed in and I used to attach myself to their beliefs. 
I realized that these weren't beliefs that I had formed, but just beliefs that I attached myself to because I looked up to them. And so in, in figuring this out, man, I feel like I feel like one of the major tests that we're faced with today is people want to know which side are you on. People want you to pledge an allegiance to what they believe. People will see a piece of your life, a piece of it, a glimpse, and think that they know what's in and out. People will see a glimpse of our lives and think that they know everything about us. So people will look at, man, we go to the same church, so therefore we must vote the same. Or people will think, well, we belong to this particular party, so you know what, we must believe in all lives matter. Or we belong to this particular political group, so we must believe in black lives matter. That's what people will assume by seeing a glimpse. People will look at what neighborhoods you live in and think, oh, you must not have any money. Or they'll look at it and think, oh, you must make this much money. For me, people used to look at me and when I was in a fraternity and they used to look at all of us in the fraternity and they would say, man, if, if you're a SIGF, if you're part of that fraternity, then you must like flat bills. You must like to dance because, I mean, that is part of the thing we like to do, but that, that's what we start to become known by. Or people will say, man, this is a good person. Or, man, I like the type of job that they have, so therefore, man, I know they would be a good person to take out on a date. And it's unfortunate that these beliefs, these personal beliefs, these personal values that we have can cause division amongst the world. But what's even worse is when these personal values start to cause division within the church. And so one of the main points that James is making, especially in the first part of James chapter 2, is, man, he's warning us not to show favoritism towards one group over another. He's warning us not to be partial towards one another. James is trying to warn his fellow brothers and sisters not to show favoritism towards the rich people over the poor people. So what would happen is the rich people would come into a church service and they would get good seats. You know, people would offer them the good seats in church. But then, say a poor person came into the church, the poor person was asked to stand up. Or the poor person was asked, hey, can you sit on the ground? We don't have any more seats. So we want to reserve those seats for the rich people. So just take a seat on the floor. On the off chance, the poor person did get a seat. They got a chair that didn't have a back in it. Or if the, the seat did have a back in it, it didn't have a cushion in it. The poor person was looked down upon and they were asked to even come through separate doors. They couldn't even come through the same door as the rich person. These are the type of believers that James is dealing with. The type of poor people, they would look at him and think, man, we can't even let you see the person speaking. So they would be hidden behind corners and stuff where they couldn't even visibly see who was delivering the word of God. They would just be able to hear it audibly. And some people in today's age, as unfortunate as it is, still have partial ways towards rich people over the poor. So you'll see somebody that's rich, and man, I've heard all kinds of things that, man, because they're rich, they must be smart. Or because they're rich, they must be more disciplined. Or because they're rich, they must be morally superior. Or because they're rich, they must work harder. Or because they're rich, they're an overall better person. And that same person will look at the poor and think, well, they're not educated. 
Well, they'll look at the poor and think, oh, they must be a slacker. They must not, they must not get their job done. They must show up late to work. They'll look at the poor person and think, man, they must make poor decisions, impulsive decisions. Or they'll look at the poor person and think overall, man, they're just not a good person. But James lets us know that when we show favoritism, it's going to lead to discrimination. And discrimination comes from our own evil thoughts. We all have them. It just, it just looks different for all of us. But we all have evil thoughts that lead us to discrimination, which end up leading us to showing favoritism. And we discriminate against people when we see a part of their life and decide, man, this is how I'm going to treat you. So we'll look at how a person communicates. Or we'll look at how a person dresses. We'll look at their skin color. We'll look at where do they work. We'll look at how much money they make. We'll ask them questions like, are you married? Or do you have kids? And after we observe these things, we then start to formulate some type of opinion about them. And if we agree with what we observe, then we say, all right, that person's all right. I can mess with that person. You know, I'll help them out when they need something. But if we disagree with what we see, then we start to look down upon that person and say, you know what, man, I don't trust them. I'm not going to help them out because I don't really agree with their personal values or I don't really agree with their head in life. And when we start to show this type of partiality or this type of discrimination or these evil thoughts, we will confuse People, especially people in the church, because they will think, man, our personal beliefs are held over biblical standards. We will confuse people because we'll have people thinking like, okay, man, I must be a good communicator because all the good communicators get to ask to read the word. We'll have people thinking like, man, I, I got to be outgoing. They, they don't ask people that, man, aren't outgoing to come up and share their testimony. I got to be outgoing. But we'll see Stuff like, man, they give more financially to the church, so we always got to go to their event. We won't go to somebody that gives lesser, but because they give more to the church, we make sure that we support them. We will confuse people if we if we do things like saying, man, because he's a man, we'll let him preach. Or she's a woman, so we'll have her just be a greeter by the door. We'll confuse people if we have them thinking, man, just because he's a CEO or she's the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, we're going to put them on the elder team. We'll confuse people if we make comments or have outlooks like, okay, this church has a thousand members, so they must be more successful than the church that has 10 members. You know, God did not uniquely create us. He did not uniquely bless us for us to discriminate against one another. He, he, he created us and he blessed us for us to be unified. We've all got special talents and gifts and man, certain uh, been esteemed for certain places. And man, that's not meant to create division. That's meant to help build the body. So if the church is discriminating against one another, man, people won't want to be a part of the church. Yeah, people will start to think like, well, you know, man, every time I go to this church, they say this. But then I go back next week and they're, they're, now they're saying this. Their, their personal values are consistently changing. You know, because when I was five and then turned 10, five years later, my personal values weren't the same. Then five years later, when I turned 15, my personal values changed again. So if we're constantly changing our values, we're going to confuse people. Man, we will confuse people into thinking that, man, God must have favors. If the church is consistently picking certain people over other people based on favoritism, then we're going to start making other people think, well, you know what, man? This must be how 
God thinks. But let me assure you that God has no favorites. In Acts chapter 10, verse 34, then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. If anything, we see Jesus consistently and constantly going against the cultural norm when going about and sharing the gospel. Jesus did not just go after the so-called righteous people who thought they had it figured out or thought they were something special because of their own efforts. No, he went after those who were looked down upon society, those who were cast out. Those are the type of people that Jesus went after. So you see Jesus doing stuff like healing the, the man with leprosy or healing Peter's mother-in-law or opening the eyes of the blind or saving the Samaritan woman. My question to you is, have you ever felt cast out? Have you ever felt counted out by society? On some days, do you feel like, man, I'm just, I'm just less than. I'm just not as good as this person. I'm just not as good as this group. Have you ever felt like, man, I'm just second class? I'm constantly being reminded every time I get on social media, every time I get on the news, every time I go to work, I'm just always being devalued. Have you ever felt like you just never had enough? This bill keeps coming in. My friends are going on this vacation, and I just never seem to have it like they have it. But I want you to stay encouraged. Jesus dealt with some of the same things that we deal with today. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says this. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and who perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in a place of honor beside God's throne. It can be hard to endure Especially when it feels like, man, the world around us is prospering. It, it can be hard to endure when it feels like, God, I'm following your word to a T. I'm doing exactly what you asked me to do, Lord. But it seems like the people that go against your word are the ones that are always getting by in this world. It seems like they're the ones that's always receiving something, Lord. And I have those same thoughts too. But James reminds us that God's standard isn't the same as the world's. It's two completely different standards. Yet the world tries to reward those or awards those people who have power, who have some type of social status, or people who have an education. The world tries to reward people that already have money. You hear things like, man, you know, the rich get richer. But the good news is that God does not operate like the world. James shows us two things in verse 5. First thing he shows us is that God has chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith. And the other thing that James shows us is that God has chosen the poor to inherit the kingdom of God. So although it may feel like we're counted out sometimes, God has not counted you out. Even though it can seem like you are forgotten about sometimes, God has not forgot about you. Although it can seem like you don't have enough sometimes, man, you still have everything you need in Christ. See, the devil wants us to focus on things that we don't have. So when we go through a test, the devil wants to nitpick us and say, you know you ain't got this still. You know you don't have this still. But when we go through a test, when we keep our eyes on Jesus, when we continue to follow him, we realize we've got everything that we need. Revelation 2.9 says this, 
I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know that blasphemy of those, of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they are not because their synagogue belongs to Satan. We must, we must remember that we are rich in faith and we must remember that we get to inherit the kingdom of God. And the way that we get to do this is by continuing to love God. And so one way that we continue, continue to love God is by not showing favoritism. In verse 9, we see that James lets us know that favoritism is sin. Picking one group over another is sin. Now, we all show favoritism from time to time. So I know some people could be thinking like, it's just favoritism. At least I'm not doing things like cheating on my spouse. At least I'm not doing things like not honoring my parents. Well, you know, I've never robbed anybody. You know what? I've never killed anybody. There's worse people than me out there, like doing the comparison game, trying to, trying to lessen my sin and raise, raise everybody else's up. But in verse 10, we see that, man, so a person that keeps all the law except one is just as guilty as a person who, who breaks all of the law. They're, they're equal. James goes on to show us that how we treat people will be repaid back to us by God. So if we are forgiving towards people, God will be forgiving towards us. If we show grace towards people, if we're kind towards people, if we show mercy towards people, then God will exemplify those same traits back to us. But if we're unforgiving, if we're unloving, if we're unkind, if, we're, if we don't show mercy, then, then God will show those same things back to us. So James talks in the first part about not showing, if you have faith, not showing favoritism towards one group over another. The second thing that James talks about, moving down to verse 14, is faith without works is dead. So two, two or three months ago, we went through a series entitled Unlearning Bible Belt Religion. And during that series, we communicated that we are justified by faith. We communicated that we are justified by the finished work of Christ. That was Paul's message to the Galatians. Now, some people may ask, and it took me a minute to have to figure this out, that, man, are, are Paul and James saying two different things? Is James saying this and is Paul saying this? Are they saying two different things in order to be saved? In Galatians, Paul is saying we're justified by faith, but James is saying, man, without, without, faith without works is dead. So who's right and who's wrong? Neither one of them is wrong. They are both right. Paul is saying that we are justified by faith. So which means we don't have to do anything to earn our salvation. We don't have to do any type of works that try to put us in good standing today or tomorrow we're in bad standing. So we got to work our way back up today. He's saying, man, no, no. You put your faith in Christ. It's done. Like everything Christ did on the cross is fulfilled now. So you don't have to do anything else. You're justified. You are saved now. And what James is saying, if, if you believe in the finished work of Christ, it should show in what you do. So you're not, James isn't saying you're trying to work for salvation now. James is saying, man, you're working from salvation. And so if we're saved, it needs to be seen in our actions. Our, our faith should inspire us. It should inspire others to do good deeds. James gives the example in verse 15 and 16 where he talks about, hey, he talks about if you see a brother or sister in need of food and clothing, 
Then you tell them to stay warm and eat well, but you don't help provide them with those needs. What good did that do? So as believers, we must first see needs that people have. And then after we see the needs, we need to see if we can help out in supporting them in those needs. Now, notice I said if we can, because sometimes we don't always have the, the means to help somebody else. But sometimes maybe we know somebody else that can step in and help come behind us and say, hey, I remember at the last staff meeting. Or I remember our last church's meeting that you said, man, this person needs help. So I, I, I want to come in and help. Uh, you don't have to throw a name on it. Just here, here, here's the means to help that person. First John 3.17 says, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? So, man, showing and doing good deeds is a way of exemplifying God's love. Doing good deeds should never feel like a burden. We're called to do it. And if you don't always have the means to help somebody out, and you may know somebody that can now help you out. Then, man, I know there's been multiple occasions where I, I've needed the help and somebody else has come alongside me and said, hey, Jonathan, here it is. Part of our vision at Delivering Word Bible Church is to glorify Jesus Christ by giving freedom. So we want to treat everything like it's God's. We don't never want to have a closed fist. We want to have we want to have an open hand to being able to give God stuff out as God sees fit. Helping doesn't always have to be monetary. It doesn't have, always have to be writing a check or pulling out cash or swiping your debit card. Man, it could be donating some clothes. It could be donating some non-perishable food items. It could be information about how to get in contact with an organization. Like, hey, here's this person's number. Call them. They, they help supply people with food in times of need. So it could just be helping somebody get in contact with somebody. It could be spending time with a family member or a friend. It could be as far as going to the hospital and say, hey, I know you don't have many family members in town, but you know, I want to just come sit with you. We don't have to talk. I mean, we can if you want to, but I'm just here to hang out with you. You know, I find myself on multiple occasions telling people after that I hear their problem saying, you know, I'll pray for you. And there's nothing wrong with prayer. There's nothing wrong with saying, I will pray for you. But James is trying to push us a little bit further to thinking more in depth. Can I help meet their need? Not just going to, I'll pray for you, which is good, but also taking it a step further and saying, can I help you out to meet your need? Now, some people may think, man, I'm already saved. Why, why do I have to keep doing things? Why do people keep adding to my list of things to do? Didn't y'all say we're justified by faith? Well, the group of believers that James is talking to thought that you could either be saved, that you could either have faith, or that you could have good works, and that both were acceptable. And James tries to make the point that, man, even the demons believe in God. And so if we, if we put our faith in God and we're saying all we do is believe, then how does God separate those who believe in him from those who are demons? So you can't have faith without works. They've got, they've got to work hand in hand because we can't earn our salvation, but we should be working from salvation. Our salvation should show in how we do things. So at the end of chapter 2, James goes on to say, just like the body is dead without breath, so is faith without works. 
Matthew chapter 25, verses 37 through 40 say, Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we hear, when did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you are doing it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you are doing it to me. And so what the picture is being painted here is when we help others, yes, we're helping them, which is great. But we're also doing it for Christ. And that's what I want us to remember. That's what I want us to leave with us. We're not we're not just doing it just to be doing it just so we feel good. No, no, we're doing it for Christ. And our faith should be shown by what we do. So if you already have a relationship with Jesus, I ask that that, that leads you to showing it through good works. Not performance, but being compelled by the spirit that lives within you to show your faith. If you also believe in Jesus, I ask that you would not show partiality or favoritism towards one group over another. And if you find yourself caught up in that, repent of it, turn away from it and show it no more. If you feel like the Lord is just pulling on your heart to join this ministry or to be in a relationship with God, feel free to reach out to us. Reach out by the email below or feel free to go to deliveringword.org and click on the I'm interested tab and let us know what, what you may need. Thank you for joining us today. Let's pray. Dear Lord, just thank you for this day and your word, Lord, and another opportunity to just push it forth, Lord. Lord, I pray that someone would just be impacted by your word today, Lord, that someone would hear your word, Lord, and say, man, I need Jesus in my life, Lord. Lord, I've been, I feel like I've been counted out by society, Lord, but, but I hear the call that you say you show no favors, Lord, that you actually that you actually look out for the poor, Lord. You actually look out for those people that are cast out by society, Lord. And Lord, I need that in my life, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that someone would hear this message to the Lord, that somebody would be saved. If someone is already saved and they're listening, Lord, I pray that they would just be encouraged, Lord. That they wouldn't just be soaking up head knowledge, Lord, but it would impact their heart. That would impact their feet. To go out and show it to the rest of the world. And that we would continue to spread your word to the ends of the earth. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.